The first psalm is the psalm we're going to be talking about tonight. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This psalm is called the threshold of the psalms. And he's comparing the righteous man with the unrighteous man. And it opens with the word blessed or blessed and concludes with the word perish or perishing. And there's the contrast. For the man who knows and walks with God is blessed. And the man who does not know God and does not walk with Him is perishing. And in verse 3 of this psalm is the mountaintop of it. For he summarizes in this third verse the type of man that meets with God in fellowship and prayer. And he says that this man who meets with God in fellowship and prayer, whatever he does, he prospers. Now, if I came to you tonight and said, man, have I got a deal for you. Would you like to have prosperity in your prayer life and spiritual life? And that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about winning the lottery. He's talking about spiritual life and prayer life. If I came to you and I said, hey, I've got a deal for you. Would you like to have a kind of life that where you would prosper in prayer and your spiritual life would flourish and be fruitful? Would you you'd go for that, wouldn't you? Let me, let me ask you a, a question. Let me ask you a different way. Does your prayer life, does it prosper? That is, does it make any difference to you or to anybody else when you pray? And is your spiritual life, would you say that it was flourishing and prospering, or are you in a period right now of dryness and emptiness and, and lack of fruit? Well, I think I can make you that deal. I think I can help us to discover the kind of life that where one flourishes in his spiritual life and his prayer life prospers. And we need to go back to verse 1 and find out how that is affected or how that comes to pass. Number one, and, and by the way, he uses the tree as a metaphor. So when he, when, he, when he talks about this tree, he's talking about one's life, okay? So if a tree is to, or if a life is to be healthy, 
and fruitful, it must be planted in good soil. And verse 1 describes the kind of soil that life, in which that life is planted, that tree is planted. And he's talking about the hidden life. For the thing that makes the difference in a tree is what you cannot see. For the difference in a, a, a fruitful and prosperous Christian life is not what you see on the outside. It's not like church attendance and that kind of stuff. It's what's beneath where, where you cannot see. That's the key and that's the important thing. Now I wonder if we would, we would have started here. And actually he starts with the negative, okay? And he's saying in essence, if you want to be a, a person, a man, a woman, whose prayer life prospers, and his spiritual life flourishes, this is what you cannot do. The negative. He does not first, he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, I wanna, because this is going to kind of we'll try to do a little teaching here, we're going to do a lot of uh, stuff with words tonight. So, you know, use this back of this and, and, and let's check out some words. For example, when he talks about does not walk in the way, the way is the manner of life, one's lifestyle. And when he uses the term, the counsel of the wicked, the counsel, the word there means the philosophy or the principles of. So what he's saying is this, is that a man whose life prospers in prayer and flourishes spiritually, does not respect the philosophy and the principles by which the world lives. And he refuses to allow his life to be shaped by the philosophies and the principles by which the world lives. And he is diligent to allow his life to be shaped by the philosophies and the principles by which God wants us to live. Now there's a lot of advice about how one should live his life. Somebody said that the reason why advice is cheap is because we have an overproduction of it. There's so much of it. And everybody's got his advice as to how one should live his life. Be careful whose advice you take. Now, there seems to be, you know, you know, when you get old, you kind of get scared, you know, a little nervous, a little shaky. But there seems to be, in my, in, in, you know, in this generation, this time in which I'm living, you may not believe, say this, but I, I, I kind of sense that there is a subtle brainwashing going on in the body politic, in the philosophies that are espoused on television, and the, and the media, a subtle brainwashing going on that says on one extreme that in order to succeed in this life, you're going to have to you know, jettison your faith, your Christian principles, and on the other hand, those people who are the happiest are the amoral people. There's a subtle kind of brainwashing going on, and the philosophy of the world, the advice 
that folks want you to, 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 you know, to live by is absolutely, totally, diametrically opposed to what God wants in many places. He does not order his life, live on the basis of the philosophies and principles of the world. Second, he does not stand in the way of sinners. Now the word stand there is a, is a word that refers to one's conviction or commitment. So he's saying that that person does not make a commitment to the way of sinners. Now, um, let's just find out what the word sinners means there in, in, in the Hebrew. That word is not, doesn't refer to what we'd call, you know, somebody, uh, like we'd say, well, that guy's a sinner, you know. What it, what it means literally, strangely enough, that Hebrew word means to provoke trouble, and it's the idea of a spirit of rebellion. That's what he's saying. That if a person's prayer life prospers and his spiritual life flourishes, he does not make a commitment to a rebellious lifestyle. He does not make a commitment. The word means to flame in fire. It, 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 he does not commit his life or choose to live in a way that is that cuts across the current of God's moral standard and provoke rebellion. He does not make a commitment to that. As a matter of fact, parenthetically, anybody who chooses that has to choose that. And somewhere in a person's life, he has to make a choice. Am I going to live in obedience to God, or am I going to live in rebellion against Him? Third, he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. The word sit there means to dwell, or to be at home, or to settle down in the seat of the scornful. Have you ever noticed that what people reject, they ridicule? What people reject, they ridicule. So you turn on your tube, your television, and you get this ridiculing of the, of the, of the Bible. Um, I mean, who, who, who is, what group of people now are, are, are getting the, the, the most ridicule on, on, and through the media? It's called the, the so-called religious right, you know? whatever that is, so-called religious right. And there is this bombardment of ridicule against things religious, against, the, the, uh, against the, the Bible, you know, against Christianity. For what people reject, they ridicule. It becomes a kind of a defense mechanism that justifies what we do. Youth, we've, 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 we've run against that, haven't we? That we, our peer groups make light of or ridicule virginity, moral commitments, church attendance, and faithfulness to God. I mean, what it is, in my opinion, humble and accurate, is a cover-up. I've rejected that. I know it's to be true, but it's true, but I've made a commitment to, to, to rebellion against God and to justify what I've done, I have to ridicule those things as being unimportant and unnecessary. Here's how it works. Here's the progression. 
There is conduct being shaped by a worldly philosophy. There is a commitment to a way that is in rebellion against God. And there is a scorning of things that are sacred and sublime. And he's saying, in essence, that a person who wants to live a godly life must reject that up front. Number two, he must have a tree, not only has, has the, must have the right kind of soil, it must have the right kind of nourishment. And verse two gives an explanation to verse one. Now watch this. How is it that one would not walk in the counsel of the ungodly? How is it that folks don't do that? How is it that one would make, not make a commitment to the way of sinners and sit in the seat of the scoffers? Well, it's because, he says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of God. And he's contrasting a self-controlled person with a spirit-controlled person. Now, the law of the Lord that he uses here, this term, refers to the whole revelation of God, the spirit-scriptural truths about God. It says two things about it. It says, first of all, he delights in the law of God, the revealed truth of God. He delights in it. It's his joy. To serve God, please God, is his joy. The word delight is an interesting word, by the way. It means to bend toward, literally. So that what he's saying is, is that this person has a, a propensity, a bending toward the law of God. He bends toward it. It's like he reaches for it. Now, if a person has a bending toward money, it means that he makes his choices and decisions on the basis of his bent toward wealth. And if a person is bent toward the law of the Lord, it means that his lifestyle always assumes and, and, and originates and is motivated by his bent toward the law of God. It's his delight. Second, he meditates on it day and night. The word meditate there means to hum a tune. Have you ever got a tune in your mind you can't get it out? It drives me crazy. Now I got this true story. I got this tune. We bring the sacrifice of praise. I got that in my my head. It wasn't consciously working on that song, but I hummed that thing, and that thing went over in my mind all week long last week. I'm out here jogging, sweating, and suffering, <laughs> and all I can think of is we bring the sacrifice. You know. <laughs> I couldn't get rid of it. I mean, it was like, it was like, go to bed with it, get up with it, just on and on. It's like, it's just there. I mean, you know. Now, that person whose prayer life prospers is a person who has, like a tune he can't get out of his mind, the revelation of God in Scripture. Let me ask you this. Do you know enough of the revealed truth of God to make up a song, one little song, 
Now there are three steps to knowledge. There is the mechanical, then there is awkward participation, then there is second nature. So that when you learn how to play golf, you learn how the mechanics of it, then you start the process, which is very awkward, but after you've learned the mechanics and you've gone through the awkward participation, all of a sudden it becomes second nature. And what he's talking about is the second nature of the Word of God in a person's mind. He, 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 he gets the mechanics of it. And that's what we do in discipleship and Sunday school. And he begins to apply the mechanics, what he's learned in the mechanics of Scripture, although it goes against everything that the fallen nature desires. And he begins to practice the things of God. He begins to turn his other cheek. He begins to pray for his enemies. He begins to do good to those who despitefully use him. He begins to practice the things of God until they become second nature. That's his bit. Now let me tell you something. Your prayer life is never going to prosper. And your spiritual life is going to be as dead as a doornail. As long as you have a habit of running with the godless, and as long as you refuse to make this Bible important to your day. Now the reason why some of us have no answer, no impact in prayer is because we have, we're, we're shaped by a worldly philosophy. And we've made a commitment that's disobedient. And we're at home with those who reject God. And the reason why many of us have no power in prayer is because we have absolutely no kind of relationship with God through His Word. Okay, number three. That's not enough. Here's another one. The way that that prospers is for the one of a better idea, just bloom where you're planted. Now what's this? He says, that this tree is firmly planted. Literally, it's this. Beautiful, descriptive term. He is firmly transplanted. That's the idea. It, it, you know, it's like a tree not starting from a seed. That's not the Hebrew idea there. The Hebrew idea is a tree that was here and has moved over to here. Transplanted. And what happens is that when a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ... He's been trans transplanted, he's been transferred from one state of being to another. He's been translated, the scripture says, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And he's been transplanted here. Now watch. Where it doesn't matter where you have been transplanted, you will always be by rivers of water. Now the context of this is a tree in a desert. And in a desert, kind of, you, know, you don't have a whole lot of water. And pretty important to growth is water. So you know, here's, here's, here's the idea that God takes a person's life and he transplants that person and places him or plants him here sometimes even in a desert. Because your prayer life, watch this, and your spiritual life 
is not dependent upon your environment or your circumstances. For if God has transplanted you in a desert, He'll make a canal of water to, to, to nourish, uh, nourish you there. For there is always sustenance where God has transplanted. Just bloom where you planted. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means two or three things. Glad you asked. One is this. It means that you become fruitful. Would you hear me now? Fruit is the natural result of good soil and healthy roots. Now, I'm, uh, I'm not the world's greatest gardener. I have a feeling that, is this being blasphemous or sacrilegious? I, I'm not sure what, exactly what they're going to be doing in hell. But I know one thing, they'll probably be, they'll be mowing lawns. trying to keep up a yard has got to be torture now so uh, I decided you know I was telling Margaret the other day when I when I when we first you know when I you know had a house and stuff the yard I mean it was like a jungle I didn't even have a lawnmower dandelions and weeds and grass and people kept giving me their old lawnmowers. <laughs> Subtle hint, you know. <laughs> Take this and put it to work. True story. How I many guys would bring old lawnmowers? Hey, you might use this, preacher. I can see you. You don't have a, don't have a lawnmower. And, and I've gotten, something's happened to me. I've gone crazy. I can't stand now one blade out of place. <laughs> and so I decided I was going to have me a beautiful lawn. So help me. Death. If it cost me my, you know, my life, I was going to have one. Of course, I get a lot of help from my friend, Ewell Hicks. He drives by and waves, you know, <laughs> while I'm out there. And so so I, 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 I decided I was going to tune in to Neil Sperry, the expert on yards. Now, a guy that would listen to Neil Sperry talk about trees and grass has a lot to do, I'll tell you for sure. But Saturday morning, I, I tune in to Neil Sperry, and this is what he talks about. I mean, he talks about these, these old ladies call in, you know, I got this tree, you know. <laughs> he's got, he, starts, he starts giving this advice. And I've, I've observed this, I've learned this, that it's not the tree that counts. It's where it's, what kind of soil it's in, and what kind of roots it has. And that's, that's what he talks about. He said, well, now, have you given it a three-by-one fertilizer? You know, one more thing. That kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and they talk about roots and soil. Uh, now, it's a long way to get to this. If you take care of the hidden life, you won't have to worry about the fruit. It'll come. You take care of the roots and where those roots are, where they're headed, and you get your inner life, your hidden life, you get that straightened out. 
You start developing a, a relationship with God, this quiet, deep, personal relationship with God. And let me tell you what will happen to the outside. It will flourish. You don't have to work on the outside. Now what we want to do is, you know, um, spruce up the tree. So we come to church and take on jobs in the church and we get all that stuff trying to, trying to make the tree look better, the outside look better. Watch this. You don't have to worry about the outside, the external, about all that stuff. If you get the hidden life, fix that. You know what I'm saying? That's the, it's the, it's the, the roots and the soil, okay? Number two. There'll be, it not only will it be fruitful, but it says it, 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 this tree will bear, look at this, his fruit. His fruit. Let me tell you what that, the emphasis is on, it's the emphatics, what called in the Hebrew, it's called the emphatic use of the personal pronoun. His and his alone fruit. In other words, you develop this hidden life, this secret life with God, and you become what God wants you to become. Now, it may not be that you will look like somebody else. That's what we try to do. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we become this cookie-cutter cookie religious uh, uh, fanatics. We want to... We want to look like the next guy. We want to, we want to, we all look the same. We all go to the same church. We all do the same stuff on Sunday morning, that kind of stuff. It's his fruit. And what he's saying is this, is that you take care of the hidden life. And what is produced is what God wants of your life, not what he wants of your neighbor, a person sitting next to you. It's the same kind of idea of spiritual gifts is that God has planted you here to, be, to have an impact, your kind of impact, your identity. You know what I'm saying? Oh, mercy. When did I lose you there? About 30 minutes ago. Number three. It will be fruit in season. That is, look at this. Yields its fruit in its season. That is, oh man, what a thought. That is, this life that has been developed in, in the hidden places with God produces a fruit at the exact moment the fruit is needed in its season. Not every fruit tree bears at the same time. You didn't know that. It's hard to find peaches in December. Now, I have a feeling that people wondered what Jesus was doing for 30 years. Now, if this is the Son of God, get on with it. And, 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 and it might be that, you know, when he's, when he'd go to church at the First Baptist Church there in Jerusalem, that that probably people come to him and say, we need an RA director. You, you're, you got, you're such a good guy. Why don't you take on these RAs? Teach Sunday school. And, and, and in the providence of God, he, div he was 30 years preparing for...
of ministry. And when it was time for him, in the fullness of time, he burst on the scene, did the Son of God. Now, now what I'm trying to say is this, is that you develop this hidden life with God and that prospers in prayer and flourishes spiritually. And just when God needs your life, you will be there for somebody. And I've, I, I found that to be true that, that you know, all out, just out of the blue, here's this person there for me, time I need him the most. Number four, and your leaf will not wither. How's your prayer life? Is it withering? How's your spiritual life? Is it withering, drooping? How's your, how's your joy? Is it like that tree that suffers under the heat? Wouldn't you like the kind of life that never, never withers? Somebody wrote it like this. Dwight L. Moody was known by his declaration of commitment which he expressed early in life when somebody said the world is yet to see somebody who is totally committed to God. And Moody responded, Lord, let me be that man. In the earliest days of the church, there was Paul who said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In the fifth century, there was Augustine who said, I'll not stop until the unseen guide who goes before me bids me stop. In the 16th century, in a whirlwind of opposition, Martin Luther said, here I stand, I can do no other. In the 17th century, there was John Bunyan to whom release from prison would, was offered if he would quit preaching. He said, you let me out of prison today, I'll preach tomorrow. In the 18th century, there was Jonathan Edwards who wrote in his diary, resolved that every man should live to, die, to, should live to the glory of God, resolved second, that whether others do this or not, I will. And in the 19th century, there was David Livingston who said, Cut out my heart and bury it beneath the sod of Africa, for here I give my life to God. In every century, God's work has been done by dedicated men and women like these. Who's it going to be in the 20th century? And you say, I don't pray anymore because I no longer feel close to God. I say... You no longer feel close to God because you don't pray anymore. You say, I don't read my Bible because it doesn't make sense. I say, it doesn't make sense because you don't read it. You say, I don't go to church because I don't care about God anymore. I say, you don't care about God anymore because you are not involved in church. And so the answer is, a commitment to a way other than the world's way 
to a way of the hidden life. Let's pray. Father, help us to be that kind of man who says, resolve to live my life to the glory of God, and whether others do or not, I will. I pray this for myself and for others. In Jesus' name, a spirit of prayer tonight, would you... Would you consider this invitation to give your life to Christ, to follow Him in believer's baptism, join His church, commit yourself to Him without um, reservation while we stand to sing, we invite you to come.